Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It's so high above me that I can't reach it. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there, your hand would guide me. Even there, your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said, the darkness will definitely hide me, the light will become night around me. Even then, the darkness isn't too dark for you. Nighttime would shine bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. My bones were hidden from you when I was being put together in a secret place, when I was being woven together in the deep parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my embryo, and on your scroll every day was written that was being formed for me before any one of them had yet happened. God, your plans are incomprehensible to me. Their total number is countless. If I tried to count them, they outnumbered grains of sand. If I came to the very end, I'd still be with you. The last few months of quarantine have come with a lot of emotional and logistical challenges for most of us. Best I can tell from talking to people, that there are two forms of human suffering that stand out from all the rest as particularly hard to cope with. One is the suffering of being alone. The other is the suffering of not being alone. Parents are hiding in the backs of their closets, clutching the Oreo package to their chest, and praying for just two minutes, please, of personal space. Couples find themselves in day-long stand standoffs with each other that start with the innocent question, why do you cut avocados that way? Meanwhile, others of us haven't seen another human since last Tuesday and have found ourselves starting conversations about Descartes' philosophy with the cat. There's no point here in debating whose situation is the worst, because no one will be convinced, and in any case, there probably isn't a right answer. But in thinking about putting together a toolkit for life in 2020, it seemed to me that there might be no better time to converse about a topic that I think is often neglected in the church. Uh, the practice of solitude. Uh, most people at some point in their lives will experience, have that experience of being alone when they don't want to be. 
it, it might happen to you when you move and you have to rebuild your friendships from scratch. It, it might happen because you lose someone close to you. you. You might feel the pain of it living by yourself, but it's also possible to feel the same pain lying next to somebody else who isn't truly present with you at all. This uncomfortable sensation of being alone with yourself is what we call loneliness. An increasing amount of research demonstrates the negative health effects of chronic loneliness, which are roughly equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Your body responds to loneliness much the same way it does to physical pain, releasing a stream of stress hormones that disrupt sleep and wear down the vital organs. But solitude is something different. I like to think of solitude not so much as a feeling, but as a practice, because it often takes deliberate effort to achieve. Solitude is a way of inhabiting aloneness so that we're fully present to ourselves and to the company of God. Where loneliness is a sort of empty space, solitude has a kind of fullness to it. It's a fruitful place, kind of like a plot of ground without traffic moving across it can become a fertile place for seeds to take root and grow. Of course, the, the tricky part is that both loneliness and solitude are subjective ways of experiencing the same reality of aloneness. The division between these two isn't always clean. And the truth is, we're not always capable of levering ourselves by sheer force of will from one state into the other. Once we've fallen down that dark well into loneliness, it, it can be a challenge to find a foothold back up toward a more meaningful experience of solitude. But when we do find ourselves in one of those spaces of aloneness, I think there are some practices we can undertake that are, are more likely to result in pockets of fruitful solitude where wisdom and creativity and real love for others can actually take root and grow. The first step toward a more fruitful solitude, I believe, is to take the sound out of your ears. I've lived most of my adult life alone in apartments, much like my current one that you can see around me right now. I can tell you from personal experience how I know how uncomfortable silence can be. I mean, it's why I listen to more podcasts than anyone I know. There are podcasts for running and for driving and for showering. There's Netflix for meals and YouTube lectures for falling asleep at night. Now, I know that this pattern is not unique to me or just to people living alone, because I, I've talked to lot, lots of people who would describe their lives similarly. Many of us would do almost anything to avoid being alone with ourselves, surrounded by deafening silence. We pack our schedules with events and outings. When our spouse leaves the room, we pick up the phone. We have the TV always playing in the background and headphones in our ears, and that blessed app Facebook filling all those micro gaps we might experience during the day. I'm convinced that deep down most of us have a deep unconscious fear of white space. 
<laughs> we fear being confronted in the silence by what we're actually thinking and feeling. Uh, that constant noise and busyness just serves to effectively drown out the subtle sounds of our fears and griefs and shames and longings. The trouble is, while all of that sound and motion does work to close out what we don't want to hear, it also closes out the voice of God and the voices of our own souls. Wounds don't get treated because we never hear them weeping. Dreams don't get fulfilled because we never hear them stirring. God's good purpose for our lives doesn't get lived because we never hear God calling. It just all gets swamped by the 24-7 political coverage of our favorite channel. If you start to take stuff out of your ears, if you create spaces of genuine silence, things might well get messy for a while. You might actually have to feel some of that stuff you've been stuffing down or suppressing. Now, honestly, sometimes at first it feels pretty terrible. But, but I can tell you as someone who's been through the cycle of avoidance more than once in life, that on the other side of all of that mess, God is always there waiting. And not just God, but you, your true self, the one meant to grow in love and freedom, and the quiet urgency that marks your calling in life. The second thing you can do to facilitate the movement from loneliness to solitude is release the illusion of perfect companionship. I've been helped a lot in my thinking about this step by the spiritual writer Henry Nouwen. In his book, Reaching Out, Nouwen writes about the strain that we often put on our relationships by trying to compel other people, particularly those closest to us, to fill our deepest holes. In any of us, no matter how close we are to another person, have at some point had the experience of running into a barrier in them, a barrier we just can't seem to cross. That when we hit that barrier, we begin to understand we'll never get as close as we might wish to be. There's no person out there who can give us all we need. We can't force anyone to stay with us, no matter how tightly we might hold them. And truth be told, no matter what we do, we all, in some sense, must die alone. The tough truth, biblically speaking, is that separation is the present state of the world. When Christians say that Jesus came to save, this is what we mean. There's a separation between all of us that is insurmountable without a major act of God. In Jesus, God has acted to bring the world back together. To, to reforge one new whole out of many splintered parts. That, that wholeness, that state of perfect connection between everyone and everything, is something we look forward to when God's recreative work in the world is done. I look forward to it every day. But in the meantime, we still relate to each other across these gaps that are slowly healing. We're still learning how to be ourselves, how to be together, how to see without shaming, how to love without consuming. There's still a really long way to go. 
realizing this, I think we can find a new kind of peace and contentment as we stop putting unrealistic expectations on each other in the world. Well, we can love people as they are and not how as we wish them to be. We, we can receive the gifts they have to offer without expecting them to fill every hole in us. We, we can enjoy community as it takes shape without being perturbed by all of community's imperfections. We can hold our grief together at the pieces that are missing with anticipation of this future where all our hungers are going to be satisfied. And maybe most important of all, we can remember what we were made for. We were made for the sheer joy of God, who from the beginning of creation wanted a relationship with someone just like us. The third thing I think we can do to facilitate that movement from loneliness to solitude is we can choose to meditate instead of ruminate. Psychological research tells us that one of the most destructive aspects of loneliness is the tendency of lonely people to ruminate. To ruminate is to run a thought over in your head again and again and again until you feel like you've lost control of it and it's endless looping. It's like you're sitting in front of a piano playing the same song over and over until your fingers are bleeding all over the keys and still you keep on playing. It might be a question like, how did I end up here? Or a regret, if only I had, or an insecurity, if I was just more. But the worst characteristic of rumination is that it doesn't lead to action or change. It's like pressing a bruise over and over again just to see if it still hurts. Sometimes you can even end up creating a wound where one didn't exist before you started poking. One of the earliest Christian leaders, Paul, once wrote a letter to some friends at Philippi while he was in prison, sitting in chains, possibly in a dark cell underground. In that position, Paul writes to them, From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Now, what Paul is describing here is the practice of meditation. The, the secret to staying sane and even thriving in some of life's darkest and loneliest places. There are things that are broken, things that are still fractured and incomplete. But there's also beauty. There's goodness. There's sun and soft sheets and people in the church who will help fix your fence or sit with you when you cry. Turn these things over in your head. Chew on them until you've squeezed out every particle of sweetness. And if, if everything else fails, give yourself over to imagining the future. Picturing in vivid color all of the goodness that will be when God finally bridges all those divides and brings everything back together. And if you're in a position right now where you need a brighter song to start overriding that dirge that's been looping in your head, I recommend starting with Psalm 139. 
Uh, close your eyes for a moment and listen with me as I read part of this psalm for you again. Psalm 139. Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It's so high above me, I can't fathom it. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you'd be there too. If I could fly on the wings of the dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there, your hand would guide me. Even there, your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said, the darkness will definitely hide me, the, the light will become night around me. Even then, the darkness isn't too dark for you. At night, time would shine as bright as day because the darkness is the same as light to you. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. My bones weren't hidden from you when I was being put together in the secret place, when I was being woven together in the deep parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my embryo, and on your scroll, every day that was written was being formed for me before any one of them had yet happened. God, your plans are incomprehensible to me. Their total number is countless. If I tried to count them, they outnumber the grains of sand. If I come to the end, I'd still be with you. Amen.